0: Hey, Transform Podcast listeners, we weren't able to record a new episode this week, so instead, we asked some of our community members what one of their favorite sermons was, and this is what they picked. We hope you enjoy. And so, it was in college, um, about, I think, my third year in college at the University of Washington, me and a group of men, we went to Chihuahua, Mexico for a mission trip. So, I had gotten saved and met Jesus in college, and then that changed kind of my focus and what I was interested in doing. And so then we go to Chihuahua, Mexico, to play basketball and to share the gospel, like after basketball games. Uh, so that was going well, great experience, really awesome. But then there was one part of the trip that I'll never forget. And that is we start walking through this, this town, this neighborhood, and it's, it's like a desert. And there's these small houses But these houses, if you just look closely, there's families, whole families living in less than 500 square feet. Um, And so no access to continuous water, electricity, kind of the basic necessities that we enjoy in our country so easily that we take for granted. And I remember that the team, like our, our hearts just sunk, you know, and our hearts dropped because we saw some poverty that we're just, we are just not used to seeing in our country. Um, as I was on the phone with Corey Moss, our candidate, uh, the other day, I'm like, how you doing, Corey? And he goes, better than I deserve, Pastor. What I would tell you is this. The gift of life that you and me enjoy in this room is better than we deserve. It is given to us as a gift. It's freely given to us. And then we get to enjoy that to the glory of God. And here is what I would tell you is you want to have a framework, a trajectory for these 10 verses that we just read in the Bible. What I would tell you is this initial point that I think will guide the entire message today. So hear this. Your kingdom role, that is your role in the kingdom of God that is here now is an undeserved gift that you give. Okay. So the role that you play in your life, in the kingdom of God, is an undeserved gift that you give to your family and your community. So in other words, it is not gonna be always deserved. You're not always going to feel like it. Don't think that you should only give if your deposits have been filled up, if you have been filled up, but rather know that as you are a follower of Christ, the one who offered himself up for us, you too, there's gonna be times where you are called by God to offer yourself to your family and your community when maybe they don't deserve it either. Okay? Your kingdom of God role is an undeserved gift that you give. And so Paul is addressing these churches on this island that is pronounced Kreti. It's still today in the Mediterranean Sea. They don't have a lot of guidance. They are brand new. They need a little bit of guidance in starting their churches and having a foundation for their churches. Um, and what you had just heard read in Titus 2 is Paul is giving them roles because he's always correcting, Okay. Just keep that in mind. If you read the New Testament, there's always correction. There's always things we need to work on. There's always growth areas because we are called by God to be humble and to receive those areas from the Lord. And so as we've gone through this book of the Bible, so far, what have we seen? We've seen that God has a role for the elders of the church, that he has a role for the civil government. Uh, That was your favorite one from last Sunday. Um, And then there's a role that he gives here to genders. We're going to get into that. He gives a role to play for those who are employees, who are working for a boss. He's giving us all roles, but this is the guiding truth, that there's going to be times when you're giving of yourself as an undeserved gift to your community, following the example of jesus christ who gave himself for us all right so let's let's roll back through it first he addresses the older men and he says older men are to be sober-minded dignified self-controlled sound in faith and love and in steadfastness he is likely identifying these virtues because they weren't being lived out Alright, so also, older women, he says, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So it is likely that on the island that it was easy in their older age to have more time on their hands and to do a little talking and to do a little drinking. So he's addressing that at this island. In addition, younger men, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Why do you think he's wanting the young men to be self-controlled? I think you probably know. Um, Pastors, Titus 2, verses 7 and 8. He says to pastors, he's talking specifically to Titus, who is a pastor and elder, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why is he after this for pastors in their kingdom of God role? Because it is always easy and people are always looking to find fault in what the pastor says. They're always seeking to pick at that. Why? Well, look what he said. Now I don't have to go to church. I'll just, you know, I can go away from God now because the church is filled with hypocrites, right? You've heard that before. So that's why it's so important that those in church leadership have what it's called a filter, okay? I'm still working on my filter by the grace of God. Um, There are other leaders who have to grow with their filter because, why? He says, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And this is the trajectory of this whole uh, introductory part of my sermon. Check this out. Your kingdom of God role, your giving is an undeserved gift. But what's the point? It's because it's our witness. It's our witness. Okay? The gospel has come into our lives. Jesus has come into our lives. And so, if we're no different than the world, then why is the world gonna be drawn to the church? Okay? So if we're if we're not thinking differently, if we're not living differently, then what's the point? What's the point? And so we're saved by grace to live a life of holiness as we covered uh, a couple of Sundays ago. That is the purpose of all of this. And then he did mention something that I'm sure you were wondering about here. It says bond servants, a bond servant in the first century, before we read, nothing to do with race, okay? And also the Bible clearly condemns slave trading this is a mutual agreement two people enter into okay you want to work for me yes I want to work for you okay you're gonna live with me this is how long it's gonna go for Uh, this practice this might surprise you but indentured servanthood is what it's called it's actually still um, common in some areas of the world today Um, so it says bond servants are to be submissive to their Masters, there's your favorite word in the whole Bible. We covered it last Sunday. I got a lot of commentary throughout the week. We'll come back to that. Bond servants are sub- to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Okay? They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What's the doctrine that he is so focused on in this letter? that you're saved for a life of holiness. And he's repeating that, that's that's good doctrine. So we're not saved to live like the rest of the world, but we're saved to be in the world, but not of the world. So that's what he is after, okay? And then the closest relationship that we have today, because in our country we don't really have this very much, um, is the employee to employer relationship. Um, so what's the point? It's probably good for followers of Jesus to work really hard, to follow direction, and to give God the glory. That's really all it's saying. Now, the word submission, though, okay, the word submission, um, what does it mean? I, because I know that as we've gone through this book, the Holy Spirit has written it more than one time. It also comes up a lot in the book of Romans, Um, it comes up a lot. And what I would tell you is this. It is the ability and the wisdom to show deference to the head in a relationship so that the head is empowered and respected and accountable. It's the wisdom to know when to show deference. That's what it is. All right. So you could already hear a pin drop. Uh, It's wisdom to know when so if the elders want to take us down a road and it's biblical and it's fine then what do we do we show deference okay I I need to do that too okay so I'm accountable to them there are times where I show deference and and they take us down a road but then they're accountable for that road right the civil government okay if they want to take us down a road now I got your attention. Uh, there's wisdom when to know, when to know to show difference, deference. And then if they take us down a road, they're accountable for that road. Okay? So in the same way, you guys know that I skipped over about three verses that we're going to come back to. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? I'm sure that was your confirmation verse. Um, um, It's the wisdom to know when to show deference, right? Okay, now, what did we say last Sunday? If it's a violation of God's moral law, we don't submit to any of those relationships. If it's a violation of our conscience, we don't submit in any of those relationships. This is God's perfect plan when things are working as they should, not when there are violations of God's moral law. So keep that in mind, okay? So here is your perfect example, which is us to aspire to, but we never will on this side of heaven, is the Son's relationship to the Father and the Trinity, okay? If you're new, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons existing as one God. But yet, in this trinity, while they are equal ontologically, there is still submission and deference within the trinity. So they ha- the son and the father have perfect union together. Okay? And that is when a healthy relationship and a healthy marriage is thriving the most, right? When there's unity in the perspective, the outlook, the decisions. There's unity, right? The father and the son have perfect unity together. But yet, the son in his humanity shows deference and submission to the father when, he's ne- when it's needed. Okay? So, think about that, ladies, before we go into this text. If, if Jesus did it and it brought glory to the father, then it must not be hurtful to you either when there is unity in that relationship. Okay? Okay? Most of the time, there's gonna be unity when you are in a Christian relationship and you're on the same page spiritually and your outlook on life, you're on the same page. But then there's those moments when to show wisdom, to defer, and let empower and respect and let him make the final call and let him be accountable for that call he makes because it's on him. We'll come back to that. All right, now, I already know that um, maybe there's some of you in this room, you've been hurt by your husband, okay? So some of these, some of these biblical truths are kind of like, um, maybe not today. Maybe, some, maybe someday, not today, okay? Here's what I would tell you. The encouragement is to think long-term and to uh, not blame scripture for what your husband is doing or has done. So I've seen, I've seen couples, or I've seen wives really get upset with God and blame scripture, but it's like, well, he wasn't doing his part in the marriage. So we can't just condemn scripture now because he wasn't doing his part. He wasn't fulfilling his role. And so... I am, because of my 12 years of counseling, I'm going to address the men first in Ephesians 5, verse 25. This is your role, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did we deserve Jesus to give up his life for us on the cross and die of suffocation and die making atonement for our sin? Did we deserve that? Jesus did it voluntarily as a gift. It's a role that you play men to your wife regardless of if she's living up to her part in your mind it's your constant everyday role to treat her with love and sacrifice and kindness and service and words and gifts. And see, the biblical headship, okay, we're, we're talking about headship today in all of these relationships. Headship in Scripture is taking the Jesus role that he took towards the church. What's the Jesus role that he took towards the church? He is constantly and always doing what is best for the church. In the same way, when it says to imitate Jesus here, men, what he's saying is you must daily be willing to die for your wife. You must be willing daily to love her and serve her and bless her. And in those decisions, okay, let's say that there's a decision where she's empowering you to make the final call on You're always answering the question, what is best for her and the family? What is best? What would God lead me to do that is best to serve my family? So it's not about, you know, buying a brand new sports car because you're the head. Rather, uh, it's about, okay, what is best for the family? What is going to provide the most flourishing? and holiness, and goodness, and flourishing in my family, all right? In my 12 years of being a pastor and counselor, I've never met a woman who's come across this that's like in my office talking, that's like, I don't want to submit to a man that's like Jesus, okay? There's, there's men that have messed our side of the street up The Bible is not teaching chauvinism. The Bible is not teaching all of those things in our heads. The Bible is teaching manhood like Jesus Christ. Okay? So I could submit to Jesus because he loves me and he died for me. That's our role, man, daily. And there's going to be times where you don't feel like it, that you don't think that they all deserve it, and you're giving too much. Here's what you gotta do in those moments. Lean into that cross. Go back to the cross to find your identity, your meaning, and your power again, because that is our role. All right. So that is uh, my heart exhortation to you who are married men. Um, And let me just say something really quick to those of you who are single. Okay, you're probably like, what does this sermon have to do with me today? at the Wash Park campus, they're always talking about marriage. Here's what I would say. Don't compromise when it's time for you to get married. Because you could see, like, if you want to enter into a covenant relationship, covenant means lifelong commitment. It's better to do it with someone that could live this out. Because in my 12 years counseling, here's what I would say. Who you choose to marry is the second most important decision you make after your decision about God, okay? There is great blessing in who you marry or there can be some real hardships with who you decide to join your life with. So choose wisely, choose wisely. I always tell my daughters the two J's, okay? You guys heard me say that before? What are the two J's? Javan Jesus, okay? Does he have Javan Jesus? That's where we're going to start. If he has both, green light. If he has just 50%, I'm putting down my feet. He's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. So we're already training now. We're discipling at a young age, okay? Because here's the thing. Here is what it's all about, you guys. Before I go into the wife's role in scripture, here's what I want to tell you. The biblical view of marriage is not about you. The biblical view of marriage is never just about you. Okay? Now, I know that's really countercultural, but that's why we came. We came to church to hear something we're not hearing in the world, right? In the New York Times, there have been several articles written in the last three years. And they're all kind of covering this trajectory that our country's taking with marriage. And it has become more about me and my fulfillment and my self-actualization. These are all documented in the New York Times. The biblical view of marriage is not self-actualization, but is sacrifice for somebody else, for my own holiness. Gary Thomas, who wrote the book Sacred Marriage, I highly recommend it if you want a book on marriage. He says, marriage was given not ultimately for your happiness, but ultimately, so hear that word ultimately, for your holiness. So you're giving of yourself to the other person. Why? So you can both grow in holiness. That means being set apart by God to be more and more like Jesus. So if you're going through hard times, the answer isn't, hey, let's check out of it, but it is, let's grow in holiness and be more like Jesus, okay? You will be tempted someday, if you're married, to say, maybe I should step out of this thing, okay? I'm saying most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, God's calling on you to say, how can I grow in holiness, Because there's likely sin on both sides of the street. Okay? That's usually how it is. How can I grow in holiness to become more like Jesus Christ? This is biblical marriage. All right? All right. Now you've heard all of the introduction and the man's role. But Titus, he does address the wife's role. Here is what I think We all need, as a biblical lens, we need to go back to Genesis to understand what God had in mind. Before we go to Titus, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis 2, verse 18. And all the way back at the beginning, look at what God says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Praise be to God. All you got to do is see a bachelor pad. It's a disaster. (laughs) I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper. I'll come back to what that word means because right off the bat, there's some ladies that are like, what is this? Like, I'm going to be his personal assistant. That's not what it means. Just hold on. Um, The other part, these are two Hebrew words joined together. Could be translated fit for him or suitable for him. What it means is opposite, but alike. Mm -hmm. Opposite, okay, if you're married, you probably already agree with me, we're opposite. But alike. You, men and women, husband and wife, image bearers of God, equal with regards to dignity, value, and worth. Equality with dignity, value, and worth. But yet... There's definitely some opposite going on, right? If you're married, I hopefully don't have to persuade you too much of this, okay? But we're wired differently. And this difference is something to be celebrated, not fought against, okay? Male, female, good. God said it's good. Uh, Here's, you know, just a few examples. So, like, recently, my wife and I got into a new house, so where I'm doing a lot of cutting of cardboard boxes and going to the recycle center, and she's doing a lot of interior design. And I'm like, sometimes I kind of, you know, stick my nose, and I'm like, hey, this blue chair should go here because it matches better. And then she says, no, honey, it's not blue, it's green. <laughs> you're, you're, she's like, you're colorblind. And I'm like, no, it's blue, I promise you. Um, And then I went on the internet, and it says men are more likely to be colorblind. So there you go. It's science. You you know, we we needed to let them do their thing and just know when to keep our mouths shut. Um, And so also, at night, men, if you're laying down next to your wife, and she's like, honey, I think someone's breaking into the home. Hopefully your answer isn't, hey, I'm snoring. Why don't you go take care of it? You know, like, hopefully that's not what gender roles have become. Um, Also, like, we just recently got enough boxes out of one side of the garage. Men, who's getting that side of the garage in winter? Okay? I just want to see how far our culture has progressed. Like, okay, she's getting it. And then science also agrees that the skin and bone density of men is thicker, so she's going to be colder than me in the morning, she should get it. See, science is on the Bible side. Um, what's my point? <laughs> the point is that our gender differences are not to be fought against, but to be celebrated. We are different in ways. You know, we know that, okay? Let's, let's go with long-time, timeless truth rather than being impacted by some foolishness, um, all right? So, helper, helper, what does that word mean? Hebrew explains it. I'll show you one place in Genesis 49 verse 25, but this is how it's used a lot in the Old Testament, but I'm going to give one example in the same book of the Bible cuz that's as much as time affords. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you. Who is the helper here? The strong helper is God. Okay? So Helper, think about it in, in the way that it's used in the Hebrew Bible. In the book of Joshua, you guys want to know how it's used? God is the helper of the nation of Israel as the nation of Israel is going to war. Okay? There is spiritual warfare. Satan loves to attack marriages. Know that. In the, you know, know that. He's going to go after that, especially in the church, so he could ruin our witness. Okay? here is what the trajectory of this is about it's about you saying how can I be his strong helper against sin against Satan against temptation against all of the stressors in life how can I be his strong helper to bless him and defend him so he's flourishing I'm bold to say this this morning because I want you to have intimacy, unity, and joy in your marriages, and this is God's heart for you, okay? And then also, in the New Testament, who's called the helper? John 14 through 16, the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is not so bad. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no growth in the church. With the Holy Spirit, there's blessing. There's salvation in the church. There's people that get regenerated and renewed. In the same way, wives provide this blessing and flourishing in the family. And without her doing that role, there's a lot of things that do not get blessed and do not flourish. In my marriage, it's better that I get sick rather than Daisy. If Daisy gets sick, the Farhat family is shut down, okay? The engine of the car is just, it's kind of dead, you know? So it's better if I get sick. Without her, a lot of things are not a blessing in our family. So wives, hear the word helper in the way that the Bible talks about it for your family and for his good and for the family's good. All right. So, that is the biblical lens to jump back into Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Let's get, let's get back to it. And that should say Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. All right. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. But then here's the part we haven't covered yet. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women. Okay. Okay. Same gender teaching can often go deeper, okay? That's just a reality, okay? In my life group, when we're all together, uh, there's sometimes a lot of crickets, okay? We don't, men don't wanna open up about everything in front of other wives, okay? And then probably women, you know, aren't gonna talk about everything in front of a bunch of dudes. Sometimes the, there is a need to go deeper and same gender Groups, there's that opportunity to go a little deeper. I'm for both, but this is good, to go deeper. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. That's good. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Let's pause. Likely at this island, this wasn't happening, okay? Some people, when they read the Bible, they're like, oh, it just, it sounds archaic. Okay, here's the, here's the historical truth. In the Greco-Roman culture, Eastern and Western Europe, and this island, there is already a radical feminism going on that he's addressing and calling back to something different. Okay, here is a biblical word that's being used today, complementarian. Men and women complement each other in their roles. Equal in value, different roles. Right hand, left hand but on the same level, okay? Now, is it saying women can't have careers? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Proverbs 31 woman has a career, she's entrepreneurial, she's killing it in the marketplace, okay? But what it often does is it gives us trajectories and paradigms. The paradigm is definitely make sure your family's taken care of first, okay? and then go out and kill it in the marketplace. Make sure that they're both thriving together, all right? And this is good. If you're a stay-at-home mom, I want you to not think that you are not useful. The culture may, think, may tell you, hey, you're not, you're not really fulfilling, self-actualizing your life. Actually, what you're doing, if that is your choice, that's your choice, you're leaving a legacy for your children that they're never gonna forget, okay? And if you've chosen to have a career, then the biblical trajectory is just make sure that they're good and make sure they're in a safe, loving environment where they can thrive and that they can flourish. Like St. John's School. Um, I told you I'm working on my filter. Um, all right. Now, what does it say? submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. All right, again, what does this mean? It's the wisdom to know when to show deference and to empower and to respect. If you like the R word more than the S word, you like respect more than submission, know that they're they're side by side in the Bible. They're together, okay? Most of the time in a healthy marriage, you have unity, you're on the same page, okay? And you talk about everything, everything. You make decisions together. But sometimes, there may be a time where you're like, all right, I'm gonna empower him, and then he's accountable for the road he drives this family on. Timothy and Kathy Keller, uh, he is a pastor, he was a pastor in Philadelphia, That was his first church. Um, But then he got a calling to go pastor a church in New York. Okay? Big change. They talked a lot, okay, about it. Should they move? Should they not? Uh, She could see it both ways. Big decision. How many of you want to go to New York? Big decision. So she said, all right, we've talked about this a lot. I'm going to let you make the final call, okay? So it's not like he just gets to decide if we're going to New York. No, you've talked about it a lot, okay? But you're saying, all right, you make the final call with this job. And if New York is a disaster, it's on you. (laughs) That is biblical headship. That's it. So he took the family down that road. And it turned out to be the best decision of his career. And he became a nationally and internationally renowned author and pastor that by the grace of God is still alive today and battling through cancer as we speak. He is accountable when you empower him as the head. That's how headship works. You're not always going to feel like doing it. You won't. Who does? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is when he was about to be arrested and go to be crucified. He knew it was getting to be closer to the time to die. Do you think he wanted to die? He prayed, Father, if it's possible for you to take this cup from me, please do it. Cup is a biblical word there that describes the bloody death that he was about to undergo. What did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. He didn't feel like submitting, but even in the Holy Trinity, he submitted to the Father, and then what does it say? At that moment, in his humility, he gave the most glory to the Father because he provided salvation for the entire world. He provided life, hope, and legacy for the entire world. And on the third day, God exalted him and raised him up to life and gave him the name that is above every name for the salvation of the world. And so, in the same way, wives, when you choose to do this, you're being humble and you're saying, I am going to provide legacy, hope, flourishing. I'm not gonna get into a power struggle on this. I'm gonna provide a legacy of biblical marriage to the glory of God. The Father and the Son are the same ontologically. But hear me, Jesus did this as a gift. Not a requirement. He did it as a gift. In the same way, in all of our relationships, when it asks us to do this, we're not doing it because it's a requirement. We're doing it as a gift. And it's first to God. Our submission is to God first. And then to the person God is asking us to submit to. As Jesus gave up his life for you and for me as a gift, may we love and serve each other in all the relationships that he gives to us as a gift to the glory of God and for the legacy that we're gonna leave as followers of Jesus Christ. Gender roles are a gift. My, my heart is to invite you to ask, what is it all about? Why does the Holy Spirit write and talk about this a lot? It's a gift for your good. I want you to see that. A wife is her husband's strong helper to fight for him, defend him. Jesus' submission gave glory to the Father and left a legacy of life hope, and flourishing. And so husbands, wives, both of us are invited to take on the Jesus role in our marriages. Both of us to sacrifice for the glory of God and for the good of the kingdom of God in the community. God wants unity, intimacy, and joy for you. I pray that you heard that today. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and guard your minds through faith in Jesus Christ, amen.